First John chapter 2, beginning at verse 18, we continue in the epistle. <clears throat> Before we go to the Lord, <clears throat> Lord's Word, let's ask His blessing upon it <clears throat> this time. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come again before you, Lord, we are ever awed by your mercy that you've seen fit to reveal yourself to us in your word and in the word, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that we would increasingly hear his voice, be sensitive to his voice uh, as we hear and as we are in um, the scriptures, and that you would change us by it, that you would use your spirit to grow us and conform us evermore into his image, for it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. First John chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Please give your full attention. This is the word of God. Children, it is the last hour. You have, as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we, therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy, Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. <clears throat> Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. <clears throat> I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is, not, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but this word of our Lord endures forever. <clears throat> We've been making our way through 1 John, this particular section, for a number of weeks. Um, I promise we'll be completing it today. Uh, but John has just told them about this passing world, that the world is passing away. The love, the desires of it are passing away. But those whose desires and love are what? In the Lord and are doing his will abide forever. He contrasts these two. And then recall right before this, passage, he says, this is the last hour, the last hour, that time before Christ's return and all things happen. And he said that we know that this is the last hour because many antichrists have come, right? And remember the zeitgeist of the day, the worldview of those he's focusing on, who are upsetting the church, who are pulling out of the church and uh, leading others, attempting others to come out of the church. That worldview, that, 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 that sense of thinking the environment was dualistic, right? Dualism. Remember uh, this dualistic way of thinking that they had. They denied the flesh, right? Anything material was bad. Only the spiritual was good. And so they, they denied that Jesus could be the Messiah. 
Jesus only seemed to be human, or other denials about him they made, again, because matter is bad. The Christ could not be actually fleshly, physical. John says of these, right, those who deny that Jesus is the Christ, that they are antichrists, they are liars, they are truthless. And indeed, in our world, people reject all kinds of things about Jesus. And there's danger in that environment and in our environment. And there are liars, antichrists, dwelling among the churches even, even pastors, right, who teach that all this stuff, the miracles, the resurrection, you don't need it. It's just, you just need the morals. You don't, need, you don't have to believe that stuff. You don't have to, it didn't really happen. The resurrection, come on. It doesn't matter. Just, just learn the lessons and be good. The Apostle Paul, Apostle John rather, says that gospelless pastors are of the devil. Because some truths can't be rejected. You don't have to know every truth. Right? You have to get every, every truth right, but you can't get this truth wrong and still be a Christian. Right? Eternity hangs in the balance. And John is telling them that there are antichrists, liars, and danger there. The truth is being attacked. The truth is being denied. Children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that antichrist is coming. So now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, not, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. And then he says next that we're not left alone. We're not left alone in this danger. The truth is not in perilous danger of being destroyed or being lost. You have a defense, he tells them. You have a defense for the truth, and that's the anointing. Right? Verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, you all have knowledge. And then verse 27, if you jump down, he says, but the anointing you have received from him abides in you. Right? So there are these antichrists. They're trying to draw you away. They're trying to <clears throat> lead you to distrust the truth that they've been taught about Jesus. And then he says, but you have a protection. You have the anointing within you to guide you to see what is true and what is false. There's a solution. But what does John mean by the anointing? What does he mean? There's lots of odd and erroneous claims about this, the anointing. You've seen TV preachers in the past or on accident, maybe. <clears throat> I trust that you're staying away from them now. But if you do remember, you have seen them. They talk a lot about anointing, right? anointing. They say they're healing with an, with an anointing. They say they have an anointing and they just touch people and they fall over. They fly across the room, right? You've probably seen this kind of thing. And they say that because they have an anointing, they receive a word from the Lord, right? It's like an open channel. And some point, that word from the Lord always ends up what? It always comes back around to sending in some kind of money, right? It's more donations. This is not what John means by anointing, <clears throat> It's not what he means by anointing that we have. If the word from the Lord doesn't have a biblical address, then don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. There's no address in Scripture for it. It is not a word from the Lord. It's a word from X man or this man or this person. This is denial of the sufficiency of God's word, of God's revelation to us. And these extra biblical 
revelations. Uh, this is a common theme amongst uh, the cults, right, as you're probably aware, right? <clears throat> They're okay with the Bible. They like the Bible, kind of, they say. But there's always this other thing that's needed, this other revelation added to or supplementing sacred Scripture. Scripture's not enough. And they offer something else to help interpret it or to add to it. And so whether it's the cults or this idea of an inner light or someone just calling themselves a prophet, claiming to have a special insight, a special word, a special anointing, they all violate the same thing, right? They violate at least the same thing, um, the doctrine of Scripture that the word that God's Word gives us uh, of itself. And this is not what John means by the anointing. <clears throat> and actually receiving some kind of extra knowledge is what John is arguing against. Right? Later in chapter 4, he'll say this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. It was these false teachers who were claiming to have some new revelation from God, contradicting what they had learned from the beginning. Of course we learn. Of course we learn things. As we study and we more and more expose ourselves to God's word, we learn, <clears throat> we learn, and we grow. Not things that are contrary to or outside of God's word. Right? There's no addition to God's word. Right? It's clear, authoritative, inspired, necessary, and sufficient. Right? It's sufficient. That's so key. It is sufficient. And so we be very careful if someone comes along and claims extra biblical insight. If you hear that, run the other way. We have the apostolic deposit handed down to us, the truth written down for the church, for their safety, for the clarity, for propagating the truth, for the spread of the gospel, the truth. This is what we stand on. This is what we go back to. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians, we need to learn not to go beyond what is written. Right? He says, guard that, learn that, know that, love it. And this is why we have... So often, John mentioning the beginning, right, in his letters. You heard this from the beginning. This is the truth you received. Don't follow those who deviate from it, who reject it, who contradict it, who add to it. People, people who say, I have, the, uh, I have this word that stands alongside or above God's objective word. John calls them liars and antichrists. It is indeed a demonic notion. <clears throat> So what is the anointing then? If it's not that, what is it? Well, the anointing, as we look at John's writings in this epistle, it's either the truth that comes by virtue of the Holy Spirit, or most likely it's the Holy Spirit himself. Look again at verse 27. Notice he says, But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you. So John is saying, God has given you an anointing. It abides in you. So what is it, that anointing? Again, if we go to chapter 4, verse 13, it says, By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, here it is, because he has given us of his spirit. Right? They're saying the same thing. Right? You, in, you abide in him because God has given to you and given it to you and placed in you this gift, which in chapter 2, he calls an anointing. Chapter 4, he calls the Holy Spirit. So the anointing is either the truth that we have by the Spirit or the Spirit himself. And this makes the most sense, right? You remember in the Old Testament, the anointing, right? It was done with what? Anointed with oil. 
or this oil, the symbolic of the Spirit pouring down, right? And the psalm talks about uh, the, the uh, coming off of Aaron's beard, and the priests were anointed. The sacrifice would be anointed. <clears throat> In the New Testament, when Jesus is anointed as baptism, it's not with oil, but it's with what? The Holy Spirit. To be anointed in the Old Testament means you have oil. In the New Testament, to be anointed means you have the Spirit. Remember in Acts, it says in Antioch they were first called Christians. Christians. We were called Christians, which means little Christs. Little Christs. And what does the word Christ mean? You remember this. It means the anointed one. The anointed one. A Christian is one who has received the anointing. You belong to Christ, you have the anointing. For real. Not a cultist, not a con man. Not for so-called being slayed in the Spirit. And only slain in the Spirit we see in Scripture is Ananias and Sapphira. And you don't want that being slain in the Spirit in that way, right? You have it. You have the anointing. You have the Spirit abiding in you, John says, again and again and again. And how does that anointing protect the truth and stop false teaching. In John 16, Jesus says, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the promise of Christ there, that the spirit will come and guide you into all truth. What is all truth? Well, it doesn't mean some esoteric figuring out God's hidden will. It doesn't mean extra biblical insight. It doesn't mean he'll lead you into what job to take or car to buy or person to marry. The all truth that he's talking about there, that the Holy Spirit guides you into, is all the truth about me, Jesus says, about me. The Holy Spirit takes all the truth about the person and work of Jesus and then reveals it to us. Even as here... Right? The spirit within us is the deposit and safety guard for the truth. And this, by the way, remember in a verse 2 of 1 John 2, I'm sorry, verse 7. This is why he says, I'm not writing to you a new commandment, but an old one. Second John says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. This is the guard, the protection of the anointing. Right? We have the Spirit, and He teaches us the truth about the Word of God. Again, verse, seven, verse 27, The anointing that you received from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. That can seem kind of strange. That can seem kind of weird, that verse. You have no need that anyone should teach you. Right? We have no need for instruction, no need to be taught, no need to go to church. It says there's no need, right? Might be time. Well, obviously that's not what John means. It can't be what John is saying. We know this because John is doing what? He's writing a letter to them that's full of instruction right? and teaching. He's teaching them things, even in this letter. What he means is that you don't need this special kind of proto-gnostic insight, right? To be in the noise, the special knowledge. You don't need the insight of these people. You don't need that kind of teaching. You don't need a new revelation about Jesus because you already know him. Verse 21, I write to you 
Not because you did not know the truth, but because you know it. What a wonderful and amazing thing, brothers and sisters, that you've heard and received the truth about Jesus. Have you considered that lately? You've received and you know this truth. What a privilege it is that you have heard of Jesus. May it evermore give us a sense of amazement and joy that you have received it. A friend of mine says, now you might get bored in church. You shouldn't, but you might. You may have a pastor, he says, who's boring and gives boring sermons. There are many things that you might find boring. He says, but please, dear, dear people, I hope you're not bored with Jesus. I hope you don't get bored with Christ. I hope you're not bored with this truth about Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, because you know him and you've been given the spirit to protect you, protect you from following, following false teachers who would tell you something else, who would try to separate the word from the spirit and lead you from the scriptures that the Lord has given you, his perfect revelation preserved for us. And so we pray for the Spirit to illumine, for him to illumine his word before we read it. He is the author of your faith and is the author of this book. right? And so we plead for his instruction and his protection. And we read it and we guard it and we cherish it. The word and spirit, they go together. We can never separate them. Let us not be those who think we can improve upon what the Lord has given, on God's way and what he's given to us. And with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, speaking through his word, guarding truth, what happens? Right, I mentioned at the beginning. John is obsessed with Christ. He's fixated, uncompromising regarding Jesus. He will allow no wiggle room, right? Very black and white in this regard. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. Our culture is soft and fragile. Truth is strong. And it's rugged. Truth isn't adjusted by someone's hurt feelings. Truth matters, brothers and sisters. It matters. It matters because without this truth, you don't have eternal life. It's been said rightly that Christianity is much more than doctrine. But it's not less than that. It's not less than that. Your doctrine might be correct and precise and you not be a Christian. You ever think about that? You can know all the true things about Jesus from Scripture and not be saved. You know how many people there are in, uh, in academia who know Scripture better than anyone you, you know and I know, who know New Testament Greek like their native language, masters in systematics, but they don't have Jesus. They don't have him. You reject the Jesus of Scripture and all is lost. John minces no words. You can know true things and not be a Christian, but you can't be a Christian unless you know some true things. There are some truths that are absolutely essential. And what we believe about Jesus is one of those truths. Verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. If you care about abiding with Jesus and abiding with the Father, you will care about the truth abiding in you. Because without knowing the truth, you don't know God. The key to the Father is the Son. 
Jesus is the key. And the promise is that if the truth abides in you, you abide in God and you will receive what he has, what's been promised to you, eternal life. He is the down payment and the seal for glory. And if you have people in your life, like you all do, we all do, who don't know Jesus, right? you have parents, you have siblings, you have children, maybe, you have friends, and you care at all, you have them, and they don't know Jesus, and you care all about them, pray for them. Pray for them, plead with them to know Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. Because John's message is that if they don't have the Son, it doesn't matter how spiritual or good or respectful they are. Outwardly, if they don't know Jesus, they don't know the Son, they do not know the Father. So let us go from here, dear Christian, with the certainty and clarity of the Jesus who saves. Right? He's not a ghost Jesus. Right? He wasn't a spirit floating around. He was a man with flesh. Flesh. He died on a cross of wood. He's not an effeminate Jesus of the, the pictures that are painted historically that so many of us have in our minds. He's not a Jesus that needs to be crucified again and again and again. He's not a Jesus that needs supplemental revelation. He's the God-man who did everything that was needed to secure eternity and to save sinners from hell. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you worship him as the Christ? You bow to him as the Son of God, the Savior of sinners. Right? Know this Jesus. Love him and trust him. And never move away from loving and trusting him. This Jesus whom we find in his word. This Jesus abiding in you by the Spirit. The one who you received from the beginning when you became a believer. When you became a Christian. You must know him. And he must be everything to you. Everything to you. And he is everything. He's the only true satiation for your soul. The only thing that satisfies is for him that you were made. This Jesus who lived and died for you, that you would live forever for him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We praise you for your word and your work in our lives. We praise you for calling us out of a dead and dying world and giving us life in Christ, eternal life and a home in glory with new hearts. We ask that you would help us anew to believe who we are by virtue of your work in our lives, the assurance of the Spirit, and calling us and naming us. We are now new creations. Help us, Lord, to walk after you with all of our lives. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.